When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we are back with season previews, and buddy, it is a special one tonight. I'll say this to start off with. Can you remember the last time we did something like this? It might be a first for this podcast. Where we've had multiple guests on for one team? Yeah, we'll see how this goes. Who, who we got with us tonight, Mike? Paul Van Wagner and Andrew Alex of ESPN Blacksburg join us, gentlemen. Fellas, what's going on? Andrew Alex, it's me. <laughs> That's what they tell me. So, of course... I, so for, for, so for the record, everyone, just so everyone knows, I've been trying to get on this podcast for five bleeping years. Mike has been on my show since day one on ESPN Blacksburg, and I've been saying to him over, Mike, you got to get me on the basketball conference podcast, man. I want to do this show. And he's like, yeah, 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 we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Here's how it had to happen, ladies and gentlemen. Mike accidentally sat Joey and Andrew and I at the same table at his wedding. And we said to Joey, we're like, you know, Mike, we've been asking Mike to let us on the podcast for a while. And Joey looked at us dead nuts, straight faced and was like, this is the first time I'm ever hearing about this. <laughs> he goes, who are you? Yeah. You <laughs> say no more, fam. Like... <laughs> All I will say is it took Norm Wood retiring from sports writing for you to get your rightful place <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will gladly take a backseat to Norm Wood any day, just for the record. Well, well, Mike, it was also after your wedding that I found out that there's actually a dedicated segment on Andrew and Paul's show called Will Mike McDaniel Answer His Phone? Mm-hmm. What What's the story there? Sometimes I don't answer. <laughs> He's got a job and everything like that, and it gets conflicting at times in the particular moment joey where you made your guest appearance on my voicemail on the drive (laughs) i was on my honeymoon (laughs) that was and you know what excuses excuses mike is probably batting about 620 on actually answering his phone on a segment that he's been scheduled on for the better part of three years at the same exact time every single week in fairness in fairness the rest of the guests are batting no worse than 950 (laughs) (laughs) might be 985 but you know it's all good well i was gonna say i mean 620 in baseball is a hall of fame career but 62 percent in football might get you benched unless you're a virginia tech quarterback which brings us to the Hokies. Oh, oh, oh no. What a segue. Did you well, see that? Well done. Well done, sir. Well done. Thank you. Thank Bravo. you. Bravo. <laughs> of course, we bring on Paul and Andrew to help us preview the Hokies here in 2021. Uh, it, it, obviously, a very tumultuous time right now in Blacksburg. I mean, with the way that, that the Justin Fuente tenure has gone basically from start until now, 
didn't finish last year particularly well at all. Uh, Whit Babcock has a press conference at the end of the season to announce he's retaining Justin Fuente, which made plenty of sense. Um, I mean, like there is just all sorts of what I'll call bad vibes going on around this program. I, I mean, Andrew, where where are you at? What is your expectation for six months from now? Who's the head coach of Virginia Tech? Justin Fuente or the field? So look, you don't throw a press conference to say that you're keeping the coach unless something is off its own rocker, right? I think that anyone who has been cued into college football for any amount of time would absolutely know that. Everything that had to do with the 2020 season was off, right? There was a very strange training camp. Guys could be thrown out for COVID left or right. And Virginia Tech, unfortunately, got the worst of the brunt of that. If you don't have the money to pay a buyout, there is no point in firing the coach. And I understand and to some degree respect everything that Babcock did. But when you look at the ESPN homepage, and this was a few months ago, and they put out their national article about coaches on the hot seat. And me as a Virginia Tech guy, I don't get to see my team on the national front page very often. Well, Justin Fuente was the front page picture on the national hot seat article that was on the front of ESPN.com. It's not a secret. This team needs to win games right now. And Justin Fuente, a lot of people in the Virginia Tech fan base want to characterize him as a different person than he is. He is a good guy. He is a guy that cares about his team. The players on his team, at least the ones that don't feel slighted by not playing, but that's going to happen in any college football program, do like him and do care about him. And that feeling is reciprocal. But at the end of the day, games need to be won. And last year, with a talented team, a team that offensively was one of the juggernauts in all of the FBS, finished with a losing record. And I don't think that there's anyone that you can put that on other than coaching. So right now, Justin Bunde is coaching for his life. You know, one year removed, if you count the end of the 2020 season to the 2019 season, from being about to jump ship to Baylor. So times can change quickly here in college football. And, and Justin Bunde is coaching for his life right now. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with a – I don't want to call it depleted because there's plenty of talent on the roster, but a different team and probably a overall less talented team than the coach in 2020. So we're kind of at a crossroads here in Blacksburg, Joey, and it's going to be fun to watch, at least for some. Paul, what do you think it's going to take for Justin Puente to keep his job? So actually it's funny you asked me that, Mike, because um, I have from a very reliable source been told that the numbers look like this. Anything less than five, you might as well not even come into work the following Monday after the UVA game. Um, I'm sorry, anything less than six, you might as well not even come in to work after the UVA game. At seven, we're going to sit down and have a talk, and there may have to be some things that get restructured. Kind of similar to old-time Hokie fans will remember when Frank Beamer had that two-win season, right? And they brought him in, and they were like, okay, you need to make some changes, and he kind of made wholesale changes on the coaching staff, and that turned things around. That's kind of where they're at with seven wins. Eight or more, he's good. He comes back. 
no harm, no foul. Look, eight wins, man, that's not bad. Like, there are, what, 140 college football programs in the nation. 110 of them would kill to have eight wins every year. So, you know what? Like, eight wins is nothing to sneeze at if you're if you're a program, you know, like Virginia Tech. Um, I think the bigger thing is, is the fan base, Mike, and you and I have talked about this before, right? Like you talk about the political climate in America, that has nothing on the climate of fan base for whether or not they love Justin Fuente. You either love Justin Fuente or you hate Justin Fuente. There is no gray area. You, you don't find people lingering in gray. They are black and white and that's it. And so, and, and I honestly think that it's probably pretty close to a 50, 50 split, depending on who you talk to and where you go and, and kind of what these people know or don't know. It's just, it's crazy. The divide of Hokey nation right now, when you look at the support of the coach and the coaching staff. Well, to add on to Paul's point, we talked earlier today on the drive about things we are least excited about for the Virginia tech football season. And what he said was his number one, most pessimistic take was, you know, Virginia tech takes on North Carolina week one. And we know what Sam Howell has, and we know the talent that Mac Brown has been able to recruit. Well, there's a good chance they lose that game. And there is a segment of this fan base that will take a look at that loss, no matter whether it's a two point loss or a 20 point loss or more. And say, we need to fire this guy right now. That's not part of reality. We're going to give Justin Fuente the season. And you could lose to North Carolina in week one and run the table. <laughs> I mean, it's not a huge possibility, but it is a possibility. They are going to give Justin Fuente the time that he needs, at least until the end of the season. But the reality is that the decision will be made at the conclusion. And this guy is going to be our coach for the short-term foreseeable future. And that some fans are just going to complain at every loss and that the super pro fun day fans are going to celebrate every win. And it's gotten toxic to the point where you have to remind people that we're all rooting for the same team. Mm -hmm. And some people just don't understand that at this point. And it's disappointing, I will say. For the record, we call them the anti-foo crew. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's very. Free to use it. What, what, what you guys are talking about here is very reminiscent for me as a Georgia Tech guy of like the end of the Paul Johnson era. Those last two or three years, it got really, really like there was a good amount of animosity within the fan base of like the faction that thought that Paul Johnson still had it and was still a great coach and, and they you know shouldn't move on from him or whatever. And then the faction that was like, he was done years ago, get him out of here. This guy sucks. The game's passed him by, you know, all that stuff. I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty animated. Like I said, I mean, it, and it's, that's exactly what I, I'm hearing is kind of going on within the Hokies fan base right now. Well, at Georgia Tech, you guys had that signature Virginia Tech win every year that kept it going, right? <laughs> it didn't yeah. hurt things. True. Did not hurt things. Yeah. I the believe thing, Paul. I believe I believe Paul Johnson still undefeated against Justin Fuente. He is, and that's the thing, right? Like at least with Paul Johnson, you knew what you were getting at Georgia Tech, right? You knew what you were. What are we? What is Virginia Tech? Can I bet you if you walk around Blacksburg today and you ask a thousand people, 
what is Virginia Tech football? You will get a thousand different answers. And I am not exaggerating. Like nobody knows what they are. You know, you've got the smart, hard, tough, and the one, one and O t-shirts. And those are great. Those look cool on a t-shirt, man, but that's not culture. That is just sayings that you put on t-shirts that you give to the kids. So they, they got something to wear to class. So I, at I mean, least with Paul Johnson, you knew what the hell you had, man. I mean, we've certainly seen the high end of the Justin Fuente era. We saw it right when he came to town. We saw 2016 where a team that obviously had a lot of talent took Clemson, who ended up going to the college football playoff and winning the national championship and beating an Ohio State team 31 to nothing. Virginia Tech simply ran out of time. That's one end of it. But times have changed. We've seen a team that loses to ODU. We've seen a team that was demolished by Duke in 2019. We've seen a team that lost to the likes of Liberty. And despite the fact that Liberty was a good team, you are Virginia Tech. You do not want to lose to the non-Power 5 schools in your state. That was the way they lost, too. Yes, and it was the way that they lost. And that can only be blamed on coaching. Who is Virginia Tech? I don't necessarily doubt the intentions of the man at the helm. Again, I have said this before and I'll say it again. There are a lot of people in this fan base who want to say he's a terrible guy and he doesn't care. He cares and he's a halfway decent guy, but that's not how we judge how we hire and keep our coaches. And Justin Fuente needs to win some football games. And today I was actually asked to write an article about my predictions for the season, go game by game and analyze each game. And I had to, in my heart, write a Achilles heel loss, a team that on paper we should beat, but we lose to because there's no evidence in the Justin Fuente era that that wouldn't happen. Even in the best season that we had, 2016, a below average Syracuse team gave Virginia Tech a defeat. So I can't look at a schedule and say, all right, this should be a win, this should be a loss, this should be a win, this should be a loss, and say, oh, we're going to wipe the floor. No, I had to write in an Achilles heel loss. Did I pick it at random? Perhaps. But it was what it was. I guess my my whole thing, too, and just to kind of wrap up this like brief discussion about Justin Fuente, because we'll get into it again with the schedule, is that Virginia Tech, like even if they were to lose that opener against North Carolina – when you look at kind of the rest of the schedule, like Middle Tennessee is terrible. West Virginia, I think, is a winnable game that, you know, not a lot of people are thinking are winnable. I don't know if it's because it's on the road or what. West Virginia lost a lot and they just haven't been very good. And then Richmond, I mean, can't, can't lose to Richmond. Um, but Notre Dame, I mean, Notre Dame's taking a step back. And then you get into your typical, you know, you got your Boston colleges of the world, Pittsburgh's of the world. Like that's where the decision is going to be made with Justin Fuente, right? Like he's got to win at least two thirds of the games on his schedule. And that means you've got to win at least five games in conference, maybe six um, when considering who they have in the non-conference with Notre Dame and West Virginia. So it's an interesting schedule it's a talented roster that, that we'll get into here in a second. Um, but if they suffer a major injury, there's going to be issues, especially if it's at quarterback, offensive tackle, defensive end. Like there are a couple areas where 
depth becomes an issue if you get somebody hurt. So just keep that in mind. Let's let's work on transitioning here from like the coaching staff towards the offense. And I think there's a a pretty nice gap that we can use to to well, the nice gap that we can bridge here. I'm trying to find the words here. It's it's late. Um, one of the things that I think we've seen as a as a theme within the Fuente area that has caused some concern and it's probably also resulted in some of the on field struggles at times is the what seems like the vast number of transfers that have left this program. And it's it's like an every offseason thing for what seems like, I don't know, three, four years at this point. Um, and even in, in an era of the transfer portal, it seems like they stand out kind of head and shoulders above other programs in terms of high-profile players transferring out. Of course, this year, Hendon Hooker, the former starting quarterback, transferring out. I think that's, I want to say, like three out of four years or something that the quarterback has transferred out, something like that. Now, as we try to look into this fall and think about what is the offense going to be. You've got Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson, two of at least two of the top three quarterbacks, if not the top two quarterbacks in the roster. They have transferred elsewhere. Plus, two of your better offensive linemen and Doug Nestor and Brian Hudson have transferred elsewhere. Is there concern, you know, somewhat around the coaching staff, but maybe just around the offense's capabilities this fall as it relates to losing more additional transfers, Paul? Well, so I think when you look at the transfers, um, the, the, the biggest thing is that most of the kids that transferred um, were transferring because of a playing time situation. Now, I have heard from players that have said that, you know, there was there was the way they were treated in the whole situation wasn't great. So, I mean, that's between them and Fuente. Um, but I have heard that from a couple of different players as they moved out. Um, the Nestor, I think it's the Nestor situation, Nestor, maybe it's Nestor and Hudson, honestly, there was an issue there between their families and Brock Hoffman's families. There were some Hudson, it was Hudson. Yeah. There were some arguments back and forth between the two families. And so that's why he took off. So my point is that when you look at these transfers, yes, there are a lot of them, but you know what? There's a lot of them at, at every school. Um, and with Virginia tech, you can at least kind of look at these and say, okay, this, this kid obviously didn't get along with the coaching staff the way he thought he would. This kid, it wasn't getting the playing time that he thought he deserved. This kid had some issues with some teammates or their families had issues. So you can, you can conceivably look at these and say, okay, there are valid reasons for these kids to leave, right? It, very few of them really seem to just be leaving because they hate Virginia Tech or they hate Justin Fuente. There are one or two that did, um, but for the vast majority of them, it's, I don't want to say you can excuse it or make an excuse for it, but the, the reason for them leaving is, is fairly valid. To Paul's point, when you look at the people that have transferred out in the Puente era, who has been the most successful? It's Khalil Pimpleton. And a lot of your listeners aren't going to know who Khalil Pimpleton is. He was the guy that was recruited by Frank Beamer right on the edge of that Fuente Beamer transition. And Fuente didn't give him a chance. He was an undersized wide receiver. He ends up going to the Mac and setting all kinds of records. And yes, Fuente might have screwed that up. Yes, of course. He probably could have, if he set Mac records, he could have been a contributing wide receiver at the least for Virginia Tech. But 
some of these big name guys per se that have transferred out of the program have either not even found another home or, you know, hit the back burner somewhere else. Hooker might be a different issue. Now he's in the quarterback competition with a friend of Paul's, Joe Milton, who even knows who will win that competition. That's if you search up headed hooker's name on Twitter, it's a whole drama that's going down there in Knoxville, but it is what it is. And we are in a different environment right now in the days of college football. So you have to give credit where it's due to the coaching staff for evaluating their players. Because you know that if Hendon Hooker was going to be the defined starter, they would not have let him leave. They chose to let him leave. And they did. And now they get to live with their own decision. I think some of it depends on the position group you look at too. Like, I think a big reason why Virginia Tech hasn't been as successful over the last few years, or at least has been up and down, if you consider the way 2019 ended up with Tech winning eight games somehow, some way after the September that they had, I, I think a lot of it really comes down to the fact that the quarterback position has not been stable at all, which I think you circle back and you look at Puente and Brad Cornelson and be like, hey, look, why couldn't you develop a quarterback? Now, some of it is on them. Some of it is luck, right? So 2016, you have Gerard Evans, junior college transfer, comes in with Fuente. I'm not sure Fuente was prepared to have Gerard Evans try to bolt for the NFL after the year he had in 2016. I don't think that anybody really saw that coming. Um, He moves on to the NFL, doesn't get drafted, and now I don't know what he's doing. Um, 2017, you have Josh Jackson, and he played well. Tech won nine games they lost in the Camping World Bowl to... Uh, Mason Rudolph led Oklahoma State. That was a good team. Um, pretty successful year. 2018 is when the bottom fell out when Josh Jackson got hurt and you had Ryan Willis come in. 2019, Ryan Willis probably should not have been starting. It probably should have been Hendon Hooker. Hooker comes in. They have a pretty good year. Um, a year ago, it was kind of musical chairs. And 2020, I kind of throw out, you know, I kind of throw out the window a little bit just because um, Hooker had COVID didn't start the year as the starter because of the COVID. Burmeister comes in. He's underweight because he had COVID um, and then broke his foot in the middle of the year. So by the time they put him back in towards the end of the year, when he played well, he was finally healthy. Point being, quarterback position has been kind of a bugaboo for Virginia Tech from the standpoint of stability, not necessarily production. Um, but if you look at other areas on the field where they've had the transfer issues, um, but then you consider like running back, Leal Herbert comes in, he sets a bunch of school records for rushing and ends up being a really good player. Devin Taylor, a guy they got out of the transfer portal a year ago from Illinois State. Um, he came in, contributed last year at safety. They thought he was going to play corner, ends up at safety. He's actually left the program because he got hurt in the spring and lost his starting job. So Fuente actually announced today that he's left the program because he's buried on the depth chart now. Um, but it, it kind of depends on what position you look at, um, because I'm sure I'm missing guys, but Brock Hoffman, offensive line, all ACC caliber offensive lineman comes in, contributes. He's been really good. So it really depends on who you look at. And then on the outlook for this year, you got Jordan Williams, interior defensive lineman coming over from Clemson, who looks like he'll shore up the interior defensive line. So it's it's all position based. But the thing that I come back to is quarterback which has been a big issue in the transfer portal. Now you have major depth issues at the position because A, transfers, but B, you didn't recruit well, right? And I, I think that's when the transfer portal becomes a bigger deal when you have not recruited well. Defensive yeah, end yeah. is another position. 
linebacker is a position I'm concerned about, particularly outside linebacker, right? Um, if a guy like Alan Tisdale were to get hurt, you're going to be throwing in a freshman who's probably not ready to play yet. So those are the kind of concerns I have about this team um, because it's not always just the transfer portal. It's coupling the transfer portal with some of the recruiting issues they've had over the last couple of years. It looks better on paper, this recruiting class, but it's hard to offset that with just the transfer portal. Well, and just real quick, I'm just I'm on 27, uh, 24-7 sports right now. So Alec Bryant, um, there are some issues there. Uh, he, he transferred out to Illinois, but I don't even know if he's going to be eligible. Wooten went to Texas Tech. He just went back home. Beadle went to Houston. He just went back home. Deshaun Crawford ends up going to Southern Miss. Uh, Tyree Saunders ends up going to ECU. Uh, Tyree Rogers ends up going to Norfolk State, right? So, like, these guys are either going home, having legal issues or or eligibility issues, or transferring down. And, again, nothing against Norfolk State or East Carolina, but there's a reason why you're playing at those schools versus Virginia Tech, Miami, Georgia Tech, whatever it happens to be, right? So, like, that's where those kids are going. I just think that the point that Mike made – that resonates with the average Virginia Tech fan is the what if aspect of it. You know, what if this didn't happen? What if that didn't happen? What if this guy didn't transfer out? What if this guy didn't have legal issues? And I do particularly think it's unfair to blame a head coach for potential legal issues that might happen to another player. But to Mike's point, I mean, and we're going to talk about Amari Barnard shortly. If he gets hurt, you go from an NFL caliber player and with Bryant and Wooten gone, then you go to a, what, a true freshman, a guy that doesn't deserve to be there. It's all intertwined. And, and, and that's what's scary to a lot of people. Well, and, and saying it's all intertwined, I mean, that's exactly kind of where my mind is, is you're right. You know, this this legal issue, that kid being homesick, you know, this, that and the other, like any one of those situations. Yeah, that's not that's not Fuente's fault. It's not the coaching staff's fault. Like that happens. And not just at Virginia tech that happens all over the place. Like that's normal. I I think where I get concerned is I feel like at Virginia tech more than others, and I don't have data to back this up, but I feel like at Virginia tech, this is happening more frequently, which when a coach has been there for five or six years, and this is happening this continuously, that does go back to the recruiting. It's like, these are guys you are bringing into your program that, you know, maybe they're getting homesick because you're recruiting so much in Texas for a school in Virginia, or, you know, maybe you're not doing background checks on kids and they're getting in legal trouble. You know, like at some point there's a pattern and my, my instinct is dependent on the coaching staff, but we don't have to, we don't have to hammer on this too much more if we don't want to. (laughs) I'll, I'll just say that Joey, a lot of what you said is exactly right. And from what we've seen from this coaching staff over the course of the last, I would say eight to 12 months, they understand where they've been wrong before. The big question is, is it too late? Yeah, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. I so let's let's get in again more specifically to this fall's team. And you mentioned, you know, one of the transfers in that's going to be stepping in for Hendon Hooker and such now in a full time role is going to be Braxton Burmeister, is a quarterback. He transfers in from Oregon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was a blue chip recruit, you know, pretty coveted guy. I think, but a guy that we saw in in his limited action last year, at least, and and Mike, correct me if I'm remembering this wrong, seemed like he had a little bit of a incomplete skill set, perhaps, you know, a little more heavy on the on the run 
uh, yeah, production as opposed that, to passing. That's right. No, that that's that's accurate. Um, the passing got better in the Clemson and UVA games at the end of the year, but I think a pretty fair representation of Braxton Burmeister is that he's a run first type quarterback, an adequate enough passer, and we haven't seen the true Braxton Burmeister yet. We don't know if he's actually good or if he's actually not good as a passer. We don't really have the data to back that up because simply he hasn't been on the field enough. So that's kind of where we're at. My thought on Braxton Burmeister is, look, if you want to project a positive season for Virginia Tech, here's your thought process. Braxton Burmeister, A, as a run-first quarterback, will not get hurt. Because if he gets hurt, and this means no direct events to Knox Kadem or any of the other guys on that depth chart, they were not recruited to play right now. Some of them might not even be recruited to play at all. You have to have a backup plan. And Virginia Tech does not necessarily have an immediate backup plan. Call the movers. Burmeister gets hurt one day. Call yeah, the movers. No, 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 for real. No, no, for real. That That is the downfall of the season. But at the end of the day, you sleep in the bed that you made. And they were unable to recruit a legitimate backup quarterback, a serious contender for the starting job, even if it wasn't a serious contender for the starting job, you could go get the backup at Marshall and it would give this fan base more confidence than the guys that we have on the roster right now. You have a true freshman who nobody wants to play and nobody expects to play. You have a guy from Texas A&M that was a quarterback playing special teams. Now think about it, folks. If you're a quarterback playing special teams, what does that mean? It means they don't really care if you get hurt. So you're not a quarterback. And you have Knox Kadem, a guy who was 365 days ago buried on the depth chart behind three guys who are all now in Division One jobs and no one expected to play. That's fine. They didn't get that other guy. It's Braxton Burmeister's show. I believe if Virginia Tech's going to do well, we will see – more of because the fact that Braxton Burmeister had a full off season as the clear cut. And I can't stress that enough clear cut quarterback. Number one with no distractions working with the first team all the time. We'll see more of the good Braxton Burmeister that we saw at the end of the season than the eh, Braxton Burmeister that we saw when he was thrown into the fire early. I think the difference between Virginia Tech being maybe an eight-win team or a seven-win team versus Virginia Tech being a five- or six-win team is what Braxton Burmeister you get, and that's assuming that he plays every game. And Virginia Tech fans just got to hope and pray that you get uh, the good one. Here's the thing that scares me, right? You look at Fuente when he had success, and and let's go back to Memphis. Paxton, Paxton Lynch, six foot seven, 244 pounds. Gerard Evans in his first year, 6'4", 235. Hooker and Patterson, 6'4", 6'5", around that 245 range. 
Braxton Vermeister, 61205. Now, to the average person, you say, well, what's the difference between 235 and 205? When you're getting hit by linebackers 8, 10, 12 times a game, it means a lot, man. It means a lot. Like, And so I don't know that, yes, Braxton Vermeister is fast. Maybe Andrew was talking about this earlier today on the drive. ESPN Blacksburg, 4 to 6, Monday through Friday, by the way. Um, Andrew was talking about this on the drive uh, earlier today. When they do the the gun test on these kids for speed, Burmeister is the fastest kid on the field, right? He is the fastest kid on the team. But man, you're still going to get hit by dudes that are, you know, 6'6", 250, and, and you're going to get hit by those kids a lot. Like, I just don't know. Like, I'm scared to death if Braxton Burmeister can stay healthy, not because I don't think he's uh, fragile or fit or anything like that. It's just that offense abuses you. Paxton Lynch was six inches and 40 pounds heavier than Burmeister is when Fuente had success at Memphis. That worries the hell out of me if I'm a Hokie fan. And I don't want to sound too negative, but Paul's exactly right. We as Virginia Tech fans saw Braxton Burmeister play his best game in his last game, and that was against UVA. And those who are really cued in will remember the Hendon Hooker drama that happened there. And Braxton stepped in, and he did really well, and we regained the Commonwealth Cup. And for Virginia Tech fans, in what seemed like a lost season, that might have been all they needed. But as we move forward, there's two questions, right? And it's, can Braxton Burmeister recreate that kind of performance? Like, can he be that good? Because if Braxton Burmeister is the 10th best quarterback in the ACC – given the talent that's around him, Virginia Tech might be due for a halfway decent season. If he is the worst quarterback in the ACC, which many outside you know, analysts project him to be, well, then unfortunately it's, uh, it's going to be a bumpier road. Well, I think the, the one thing to just kind of wrap up the quarterback discussion that's been talked about on national level is, okay, and we, we've hit on this a ton. It's like quarterback health, quarterback health, quarterback health with Virginia Tech. My question is, what if Burmeister just isn't good, right? Like, I'm not sure that that's the case. Like, I think he'll be, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be, you know, he, he could be good. You know, we don't, we don't know. We haven't seen enough of him and to really make a determination. He played like a game and a half at Oregon in like a mop-up role. He played the first three games of the year last year after like right after he got back from COVID, which I don't even know how you even judge that quite honestly. And then the end of the year last year, he looked pretty good, right? He completed 74% of his passes in the last two games of the year through for almost 340 yards. Like he looked better, obviously has his limitations. Arm strength is not his forte. This offense doesn't require you to push the ball down the field, you know, throwing 35 and 40 yard bombs though under Brad Cornelson. So I think he's, He's got the skill set for this offense, fine. But my question, and, you know, everybody's talking about the health of the quarterbacks. My question is, what if he just isn't good, right? Like, that's a real that's a real possibility that not a lot of people are talking about. I think because people expect him to be good. I, I expect him to be decent at, at worst. Um, but if he's just flat out not good, Virginia Tech could be in trouble from the jump, regardless of the, if he's healthy or not. Well, that's what I'm saying, Mike, though. If he's the worst quarterback in the ACC, now granted, no one's expecting him to be the best quarterback in the ACC. They're asking to be middle of the pack, right? And if he's bad, then he's bad. And as we've talked about with 
the injury possibility. You put all your eggs in one basket. And if that's the wrong basket, well, that's going to be the basket that sends Justin Fuente to the U-Haul. I don't mean to be rude, but it's what it is. <laughs> they, they, they have really put their faith in this guy, and I hope it pays off for them. Here's the other side to this, right? Burmeister is going to have to be the guy because Knox Kadem has taken six snaps as a quarterback at Virginia Tech, and the rest of the quarterbacks in the quarterback room have taken exactly the same number of snaps as Joey Weaver has at Virginia Tech. So that tells you right there what's going to have to happen. Like, it doesn't matter if Burmeister's bad. Like, you got to roll with him. Yep, deep level experience they, there, everybody. They. <laughs> They could have, and time will tell, should have brought in competition for Burmeister. They were unable to do that or unwilling to do that, and that's the bed that they made for themselves. I, I will say that a lot of this is starting to sound very much like doom and gloom and, and like it's not going to go great, but I, I will say that there's, a, there's very much a silver lining here, and it's like it, if Braxton Burmeister is only kind of average – there's really good news is that he's actually going to look really good because the receiving core that he's throwing to is one of the very best, not only in the ACC, but maybe in the country thrown to guys like Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson. I mean, he has weapons at his disposal that will help him to look perhaps a little bit better than he might actually be Paul. Yeah, actually. And you know, here's the thing, like if they just do what they did last year, this is an offense that averaged 440 yards per game and 31.9 points per game. You can win a lot of games if you can just put up those numbers, and Burmeister was part of that last year. So I, it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, it, it's easy for us to sit here as fans and be like, oh, this is fantastic. Burmeister's just going to throw nine routes to the, def to, the, to the wide receiving crew that they've got, and it's just going to be a wide – but that's not the case. Like, there are things that you have to look at, and – and it does seem like doom and gloom, but this offense is primed. If they just hold serve what they did last year, the Hokies will be fine. The biggest question comes when we talk about the defense. That's a group that's got to got to really improve if we're going to have success at Virginia Tech. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about the defense in a few minutes, I'm sure. And I think that just based on the experience factor, they're going to improve. But, Joey, you're exactly right. Tavion Robinson, Trey Turner, you look at a guy like Jaden Payout, who has been waiting in the wings for a long time, an injury debilitated him to some degree, obviously, because he wasn't able to play, but high expectations for him still exist. You have young freshmen. You have guy like Caleb Smith. They have weapons, and, of course, James Mitchell is going to be an NFL draft pick. Look at his size that he has gained since – not choosing to the surprise of many Virginia tech fans to declare for the 2021 NFL draft. The question is, can we get the ball to him? And for Braxton Burmeister, the challenge is, can you be the guy that facilitates an offense with a really, really, really good receiving core? And if not, who's going to do it? Cause the answer is no one. <laughs> the answer is quite frankly, no one. So you have the weapons, but at the same time, we saw a few years ago a quarterback in Josh Jackson, and this is no personal offense to him, who went on to Maryland and accomplished absolutely nothing, facilitate a pretty solid offense with an offensive crew that was very good. He moves on. 
He goes to Maryland. I know it's stiffer competition. I know that you're playing with Maryland, not Virginia Tech. But at the end of the day, he was benched after a few games because he alone was not able to make the moves that maybe his performance at Virginia Tech would imply that he was able to do. I, I, I do want to just say I, I'm really happy to know that his name is Jaden Payout and not Jaden Peyote because that was kind of how I read it the first time. <laughs> Wiley Peyote. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> um, I, I'm a little curious to get your all's takes on the offensive line as well. Again, I, I mean, you have guys like Doug Nestor and Brian Hudson both transferring out, and then the name is escaping me of the first-round draft pick on the offensive line. Christian Derisaw. Derisaw, that's correct. Um, I, I, I mean, that's a that, that feels like a pretty significant talent drain from one year to the next. Is, is there concerns there, or is, is the depth there to kind of keep that train rolling? The depth? No. The first five, yes. This is a common theme right now at Virginia Tech. As long as nobody gets injured, this team's going to be damn good. <laughs> Once the injury, so no one gets, to, as long as no one gets injured in the game of football, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, no, the, the 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 five that they've got right now, however, you interchange those five, they're going to be fine. Like I say, the question becomes what happens if someone goes down with an injury? Because if you look at the roster, right, like you've got, you know, a couple of juniors, you got a couple of sophomores, you got a senior out there or two. But then the problem is, is that everybody else is either a freshman or a redshirt freshman. And and not that they're not talented, but they're just you're an 18 or maybe a 19 year old kid. And you got to go against the likes of Clemson's defensive line. I mean, I know they don't play Clemson this year, but, you know, you got to go against the likes of Miami's defensive line or or, you know, Pittsburgh's defensive line like. It's that scary right there. If, if anything were to happen to to any of those top five guys. I mean, Joey, for us Virginia Tech fans, there's good news and there's bad news. You look at the left side of the line and Luke Tenuta might be next in line to be an NFL draft pick from Virginia Tech. Very solid left tackle. Very good. Let's see this Smith, the guard right beside him. Also very good. You go to the center position. Brock Hoffman, who has been kind of in the fanfare of Virginia Tech fans as well. He's had his issues, but his issues have mostly been getting bad penalties. We're going to assume that a year of offseason, they've been able to calm him down. That's your three. Those guys are really solid. Once you get to the right side of the line, that's where it gets interesting. You bring in the transfer, Johnny Jordan, who was a honorable mention, all Big Ten Seems like a guy that could fit in well. However, six feet tall, which in normal size people is pretty tall. Was playing center at Maryland. Yes. However, for a guard, not so tall. Do you move him to center? I don't know. Because Brock Hoffman's the one who's been in the program for two years and knows all the calls. Do you want to move Brock Hoffman to guard? Regardless, then you have Silas Danzy, who's been here forever, and we know he's solid, but not particularly good at anything. I remember sitting between Michael and Paul and a good man by the name of Tim Thomas watching Silas Danzi try to play right tackle and get three false start penalties against Furman, and there might have been a four-way heart attack there <laughs> because he simply was not fit to play that position. And then we go to right tackle. 
is it going to be the seventh year senior, perhaps eighth year senior, Tyrell Smith? Is it going to be Parker Dr. Clements? Smith. That's the Dr. Freshman? Smith to you, Andrew. Yeah, getting there for sure. Is it going to be Parker Clements, the freshman? We don't really know the answer to that question. So the offensive line is not the offensive line that it used to be by any means. Christian Derrissaw is irreplaceable. He is the best developmental story in Virginia Tech history. Came in as a unheralded recruit, and now he is a first-round pick who's most likely to start for the Minnesota Vikings. But if you're looking at the ACC and you look at Virginia Tech's offensive line, you have to put them on the upper top half of that group. Maybe not the best. And perhaps last year they were amongst the best. But this is a the offensive line is not going to kill anyone. At least I hope not. I worry about tackle, just the depth. I don't worry about the offensive line, if only because Vance Spice has figured it out all throughout his time at Virginia Tech. They've always had at least a above average offensive line, even in the years where you looked at it on paper and you were like, this line might not be any good. Um, he might be one of the top two or three offensive line coaches in the conference. And that's why I think they'll figure it out. They've had years under Fuente where the offensive line has been better. And they've had years where the offensive line has been worse than the starters that they're rolling out there, um, you know, starting September 3rd against North Carolina. So this is kind of a middle of the road on paper, a middle of the road offensive line for Vance Vice at Virginia tech, but he always finds a way to kind of put the right guys in the right positions. And, the one thing that stood out to me coming out of the spring, um, it, one overarching theme of the Justin Fuente tenure at Virginia Tech is access has been an issue from a media standpoint. But the one thing that I found interesting was that in, in the spring, after spring practice, they were talking about how they were concerned about the offensive line depth and they didn't have enough of it, right? And this was right after Hudson and Nestor both transferred. So all Virginia Tech fans are like, wow, they don't tell us anything. And one of the first things they tell us in like one of two media availabilities in spring camp was they're concerned about the depth. Fast forward to media day when we're sitting there in Blacksburg a couple of weeks ago. And now the coaching staff is saying, look, we were concerned about the depth at offensive line in the spring. We feel better about it after this summer, which going into fall camp was an encouraging sign because of how forthright they were about the fact that they were seriously concerned about the offensive line depth. So I think it'll be fine. I mean, the starters have all played. That'll be fine. Adding Johnny Jordan, I think is huge. Um, I think Jordan will be a starter sooner rather than later. I think they'll move him to center and bump Hoffman to a uh, left or right guard. Um, I know Lucita Smith's playing left guard for now. I think they probably bounced Brock Hoffman out to right guard. Um, tackle is where there's concern, specifically a right tackle. I think that'll be kind of a rotating door all year, but I think Vance Spice will figure it out. Let's talk about the defense. We enter year three of the year two, sorry, of the uh, post Bud Foster era at Virginia Tech. As they now report to Justin Hamilton last year, it was his first year on the job. Felt like it was a very mixed bag at times. I mean, there were a couple of really, really good defensive performances. And also they gave up 47 points to Pittsburgh. And I, I yet to figure out exactly how that worked. Um, what's the general mood or take? What's your all's thought on on Hamilton as the defensive coordinator? Again, in kind of a similar spot as Fuente, trying to follow up from the legend, but also you know just in general with the, with the talent and how they respond to him. 
what can are we looking I, at? Uh, can, can I start here? Because I've been thinking about this actually most of the day. So I feel like I should just throw this out there while, I'm, while I have it. Like, Assumed him. Right. Yeah. Um, so one thing, so every team dealt with COVID last year, right? Like every team in the FBS dealt with COVID. And nobody wants to use COVID as an excuse. There were times last year where Virginia Tech, as a program in fall camp, only had like 20 guys available to practice. Um, Justin Hamilton didn't have a real offseason. Um, you can try to install a scheme in fall camp. I mean, there was no spring ball last year. There was summer workouts were very different. And fall camp was different for everybody for a variety of reasons um, because you just couldn't do certain things, but it was even worse for Virginia tech because of when they got it. So not only can Hamilton not install his defense, but he's installing his defense with a bunch of guys who probably aren't going to see the field like a month from now. Right. Um, The biggest issue last year was Virginia tech's entire secondary was out with COVID basically the entire year. It was a different guy every week. Um, Virginia Tech started a walk-on at safety against Sam Howell in the North Carolina game. And Virginia Tech hung in there for a bit. You know, they, they really, they, they did their best, right? But they had nobody healthy in the secondary really the entire year. It was a rotating door at basically every position. Defensive line was a problem last year. You had Taiwan Garbutt, who was out due to personal reasons. He's back at defensive end. Amari Barno was great. He's actually put on 15 pounds. He looks real good, um, real solid. He's an all-ACC preseason pick, all that stuff. Jordan Williams from Clemson coming in at defensive tackle. That'll help a lot. They also have Mario Kendricks and Norrell Pollard, two guys who have contributed. Linebacker, you have Dax Hollyfield moving outside to inside at middle linebacker. That's his more natural role. Rayshard Ashby's put on 15 pounds. He was dealing with COVID last year, but he put on 15 pounds. He's shown flashes of being really good, but his issue was that he couldn't always make the tackle. A lot of people chalked it up to, okay, it's not that this guy doesn't know what he's doing. It's that this guy's not strong enough yet. Um, and he's put on some weight, and the coaching staff's real happy about him. And, and then when you consider the secondary, you had to start, and, and this was kind of an indirect consequence because of the COVID, but you had to start Dorian Strong, a true freshman last year, a, a mid-three-star recruit. You had to start him at cornerback out of necessity because everybody had COVID. So you're throwing him out there after he's barely, barely practiced and he turns into a freshman all American type player, like really, really good player defensive back The the wild card for this year's defense for me is Jermaine Waller. Jermaine Waller's back. He missed all the last year. He's doing all sorts of stuff, COVID injury, everything. If he gets back to 2019, Jermaine Waller, the guy who was lined up opposite Caleb Farley, nobody's going to want to throw on Virginia tech's corners. Um, especially if Dorian Strong takes another step forward after a really strong true freshman year. Um, The defense has a lot of upside. There are depth issues at defensive end. There are depth issues at outside linebacker. I think the secondary has a chance to be, if not the best in the ACC, probably top three or four. So I'm, I'm really bullish on Virginia Tech's defense because they have a lot of returning veteran players who have been there and done that in normal circumstances with an old defense with Bud Foster. Now with a real off season, learning Justin Hamilton's scheme, being healthy is really important, especially for the secondary. Like 
can they take a leap forward more than a step forward? If they take a leap forward and this defense is really good, Burmeister only has to be average on the other side of the ball for Virginia Tech to kind of all of a sudden be like seven win floor, like eight or nine win team, right? But that's that's the that's the big question is can they can they make a step forward? I'm good with Justin Hamilton. Like a lot of people aren't, you know. <laughs> Andrew, I know Rick, Ricky LeBlue wanted to fire Justin Hamilton like halfway through the year last year. Like it wasn't like that. Nobody was healthy. Like you got to have like somewhat normal circumstances. Now, if they come out this year and they're absolutely abhorrent through September, then I mean, it's like, all right, well, come on. Like we got to figure, we got to figure out something to do. A defensive coordinator could have had Barry Odom didn't, didn't close the door because the admin wouldn't want to pay the money. So. Yeah, no, Mike, I, I think you're exactly right. And I'll, I'll create a professional football metaphor for those who understand this past year, my beloved Washington football team was able to make the playoffs on the back of their defense. And they at no point had a competent quarterback, but they still made it. And they still took the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to a one score game for Virginia tech fans, for those with the most hope for those with the starriest eyes. I don't think anyone imagines Braxton Burmeister being the best quarterback in the ACC or even top five or even top eight. But this guy needs to be able to do what he has to do to carry the work that his skill position players on the offensive side of the ball and a more experienced defense can carry him to. Now, Joey, you asked the question, what do I think about Justin Hamilton? I'm willing to give the guy a mulligan for all the reasons that Mike said. If you're trying to implement a defense and your half your team is, you know, in COVID quarantine, half your practices are via Zoom. Well, I just don't think that's going to work, generally speaking. There's no kind of continuity there. There's no kind of camaraderie there. And this is college football. We don't need to overthink it. <laughs> Being around the people that you work with being able to listen to your coach in person, being able to physically attack the concepts that you're being taught are important. And Virginia Tech didn't have that opportunity in 2020. That being said, they had a shot at it. And I'm not willing to give a mulligan in 2021. But as Mike mentioned, the talent is there. The talent is there in the words, in the presence of Jermaine Waller who some people think, despite his size, will be an NFL draft pick. The talent is there on the edge in terms of Amari Barno, a guy who was not a defensive end until we made him a defensive end in the chaos that I just mentioned, and he still had a hell of a season. And now he had a full season to work out, a full season to learn the system, and a lot of Virginia Tech's potential success is predicated on the fact that this guy, being Amari Barno, might just wreak havoc on names like Sam Howell, on names like Jack Cohn at Notre Dame, on names like De'Ara King at Miami. You can't underestimate the power of a good defensive end who puts pressure on the quarterback. Sam Howell is good. How good is he with a massive man coming at him at X miles an hour? I don't know. I want to find out. This defense has a lot more potential with Dax Holifield at his natural position than I believe 
they had with an oversized Rayshard Ashby doing the same job. But when push comes to shove, we need to see results on the field. And that's what Virginia Tech's defense under Justin Hamilton in year two is, by the way, I mean, if Fuente gets fired, he's out of a job too. Back to UVA, why is for you? (laughs) So (laughs) that's the reality of the situation. Everyone's got someone to prove. And Justin Hamilton may be the straw that brings the camels back. We'll see how his defense does. Well, and I think that, you know, what all these guys, what both these guys said is correct. And and I just, to piggyback off of that, I think having the full off season to implement things, to get the terminology right. Yes, he's part of the Bud Foster coaching tree, but the terminology is going to change. Things are going to be different. Schematically, things are going to be different. And guys have to know where to be and, and, and when they need to be there and, and having an entire off season to do that the one guy mike didn't mention and i'm not sure why he keeps getting overlooked but he does is breon murray this is a kid that for whatever reason he just keeps getting passed over and inevitably the Hokies have to throw him out there in the Belk Bowl or against Clemson or against whatever. And all he does is pick balls off. I am, yeah. yeah, I am a huge Breon Murray fan, man. Like I, if, if we can start getting jer- our jerseys made with players, I'm getting me a Breon Murray jersey to wear to Lane Stadium because the kid just balls out. Like I am super excited to see him out there playing football for Virginia Tech. Mike, what else we got to hit on here before we uh, jump into the schedule and record predictions? Uh, we usually can gloss over special teams, but I feel like it's kind of significant considering Tech is now replacing Brian Johnston and at kicker, and they're replacing Oscar Bradburn, a four-year starter at punter. Um, it looks like John Parker Romo is going to be the kicker. He, he was basically just doing kickoffs the last few years. He hasn't been the, the primary place kicker. He moves into that role. Then Peter Moore, a true freshman, is going to be punting, which, I mean, ideally you wouldn't have a true freshman punting, but Oscar Bradburn pulled it off, so I don't know. Maybe it'll be okay. But, oh, the one thing we should hit on, though, punt return was a major issue for this team last year because Tavion Robinson couldn't stop muffing punts. (laughs) Um, So he's got to clean that up because when he actually catches and and fields the punt, he's electric with the ball in his hands. So just at one point they had they had Mitchell back returning punts. You had a tight end back there returning punts. Like that's how crazy. We also have a tight end doing jet sweeps. Yeah, and scoring on them. So (laughs) yeah, maybe it's not that bad of a thing. Yeah, just don't return punts with a tight end. Done with that. Uh, Hey, you got to give him credit for the element of of surprise there. Like. (laughs) <laughs> nobody does that nobody's expecting it the element of lack of options <laughs> <laughs> uh, potato potato uh, whatever whatever works um all right guys let, let's let's talk schedule here f- for virginia tech this fall and and we we were recently previewing north carolina with lauren brownlow and talked about how that honestly figures to be one of the most interesting potential swing games of like the entire season across the conference is week one Friday night in Blacksburg, North Carolina being all hyped up. Justin Fuente might as well already be fired. They come into Blacksburg and yet we can all agree. Like that's probably a little bit more dangerous of a spot for the Tar Heels than, than the average person might want to give them. I mean, if if you want me to do the entire schedule, I'll go ahead and Keep in mind, when I say this schedule, this is – there's two assumptions 
that I have made. And number one is that Braxton Burmeister will be the better version of Braxton Burmeister that we saw last season. And number two is he's not going to get hurt, at least in not any extended kind of way at any point. I look at North Carolina and I see it as a loss. I mean, these guys might have what a lot of Virginia Tech fans have hyped up to be an inexperienced set of weapons. And that's true. Yami Brown is gone. Michael Carter is gone. The rest of their wide receiving core and running back group is gone. They contributed last year. However, Sam Howell is a Heisman caliber quarterback. They have a good offensive line. They have sprinkled across their entire roster four and five star players that are going to be able to contribute. If not immediately, because immediately would have been last year, this year. I see that as a loss. And that's no disrespect to Lane Stadium. There's no disrespect to the Virginia Tech fan base. There's no disrespect to the team. No one's projecting Virginia Tech to be a top 10 team. A lot of people are projecting North Carolina to be a top 10 team. Should North Carolina be projected to be a top 10 team? I don't know. But I see North Carolina having the edge there. In terms of the non-conference games that are layups, look, Justin Fuente has lost in two of the last three seasons, games to non-Power 5 squads. I am just going to go ahead and assume that doesn't happen again. Why? Middle Tennessee State was a bad team, and they bring back terrible. very little production. They're terrible. <laughs> yes, they were they bad. They lost by seven touchdowns to Army. So that means the Hokies <laughs> will lose to them. <laughs> Buckle up. Find a way. Look, we're going to assume they beat Middle Tennessee, and God, please don't lose to Richmond. Notre Dame and West Virginia. West Virginia is a middling team, a team with a lot of questions more so than they have answers in the same way that Virginia Tech is. But West Virginia lost four key defensive starters and didn't improve that much on the offensive side of the ball. My bold prediction is going to be that Virginia Tech goes into Morgantown and picks up a win. As for Notre Dame, Mike's favorite team other than Georgia Tech, I'm, <laughs> Go I'm gonna write that down. I give Georgia Tech some love, no doubt about it. I'm gonna write no, that one knows down. That. Yeah, I'm gonna write that one down as a loss. I mean, you know, Notre Dame had an absolutely fantastic season last year, but it was done on the back of their offensive line. Obviously, the quarterback play from Ian Book, and they had a great front seven as well. A lot of transition there in a situation where most teams would rebuild. I'm just gonna assume that Brian Kelly has the power on his own roster to just insert players that are really good and they come into Blacksburg and win. As for Pitt, this is my toss-up game. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the name Kenny Pickett before. But he's been I'm not playing, actually first time. He's been playing quarterback in the ACC for a long time now. Are we talking about Kenny Pickett Jr. or Kenny Pickett the third at this point? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his great grandson is actually a uh, four-star recruit, but <laughs> <laughs> but he is what he is at this point, and I'm not totally scared of him. But that being said, a lot of Virginia Tech fans would say, Andrew, you're not scared of the guy that looks like an All-American against Virginia Tech last year in the absolute rout that Pittsburgh had against Virginia Tech last year. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm not necessarily scared because, again, we have a lot of data points on this guy, and, and that's the exception, not the rule. And Pittsburgh was a team that was led by a defense that had four players who are now currently in the NFL. That was their highlight. 
But Virginia Tech doesn't go a season without losing a game that they're supposed to win. So I'll write down Pittsburgh as a loss. And then we get to quarterback play. Well, first, before we get to quarterback play, let's look at Syracuse and Georgia Tech. Joey, I don't mean to rub you the wrong way. I don't think Georgia Tech's there yet. I think Virginia Tech can get that win on the road. As for Syracuse and Duke, which comes later in the season, Justin Fuente can start packing his bags the moment that's a loss because that is over. That is game over. Those are bad teams. Those are bad teams who both had multiple NFL draft picks that are gone. Two of the worst teams in the FBS. Yes. You lose any of those games, I'm just going to write those in as wins for my own mental sanity. I'm going to write Boston College and Miami in his losses as well. Miami, I think there's a higher talent level. I think there's a higher level of quarterback play. I will talk about that less because I think it's less controversial. Boston College, Virginia Tech fans live in a short-sighted world where they think Boston College is an automatic win. I don't know why they think that. We've lost to Boston College a lot in the past few years. And Phil Dracovic has been a game-changing quarterback for this program. And they might just have one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. They're going to have to go, they being Virginia Tech, from a Saturday game in Georgia, which who knows what time that will be. It could be a night game. It could be a day game. To a Friday game in Boston. That is two long plane rides. That is not a lot of time for preparation against a very good team. Boston College is a loss. But fear not. The Commonwealth Cup is retained. I have Virginia Tech at seven and four. Seven and four. Eight or, and four or seven and five? Seven and five. Excuse me. <laughs> the losses are Carolina, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, Boston College, Miami. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> I'll start with North Carolina. Okay, Brown, Newsom, Williams, and Carter combined for over 160 catches, the, the four of them. The guys that are returning combined for 62 catches. I don't care how good Sam Howell is. These guys are a drop-off. Even if they went out and recruited five-star wide receivers, they still need to break them in. And it's one thing to be a five-star wide receiver in high school. It's a completely different animal to be a five-star wide receiver at the Division I Power Five college level. So there is going to be a drop-off. They get Sam Howell and the North Carolina Tar Heels at the perfect time. These kids don't have a chance to build any sort of real chemistry in game situations. You're going to see a lot of blitzes. You're going to see some exotic looks from the Hokies. And I think that they are going to mess with this North Carolina team. You got to remember, this is a squad that scored, what, 54 points against the Hokies last year, and Virginia Tech came back. So the defense just has to be a little bit better. I think the final score Mike correct me if I'm wrong on this was that like 54 to 46 or something like that very high scoring yeah take the very over, high scoring the uh, call yeah. your bookie now and go ahead and take the over in that game because it still might be high scoring but here's the thing man Sam Howell yes he is a good quarterback and it is very possible that North Carolina could lose that first game to Virginia Tech and I haven't looked at their schedule so I don't know if they have Clemson or Notre Dame on there but they could very easily run the table after losing to Virginia Tech the Hokies do this really weird thing guys where 
the first game of the season, they show up and they absolutely ball out against most teams. See Florida State two years ago, right? That was the Florida State team that everybody was like, oh, this is going to be ugly. We did the pregame show at Hokie House for that thing, by the way, about two and a half, three hours before Hokie football games. You can check us out on ESPN Blacksburg. We do a one-hour pregame show, too. Yeah, um, we do. Such Florida a State professional. Show. For, Florida State pregame show, first time I ever met Mike McDaniel. That, see, That's right. There you go. And and what were we all saying, right? We were like, oh, this is going to get ugly. We're not really sure about this. And what the Hokies do? They walked into Alabama and slapped the living hell out of Florida State. So they have this bad habit of doing really good things early on and then depressing the hell out of us at the end of the season. So I got North Carolina as a win for Virginia Tech, Andrew. <sighs> Here's... Paul, I, Paul, I hope you're right. Obviously, I'm going to be right. And then you'll buy. And, I, and I know that when you say that at the pregame show and I say the alternative, you will be the crowd favorite. I will. People will cheer. But unfortunately, I have too much faith in the Heisman candidate quarterback somehow. I got the Hokies going four and zero before they play Notre Dame. And this is not me pandering to the fan base. I mean, I, I, I picked the win against West Virginia. I believe it's entirely in that. possible. Yeah, it's I'm possible. Four and zero. I do. Yeah. I. Brennan would say Owen Four is also a <laughs> I mean I Brennan is a clown. The the way the way I look at this schedule is a few things. A few things I like. Let's start with what I like. I like getting North Carolina in the opener um because of what they lost, right? So I, I think if if you're going to get North Carolina, you'd rather get them first week of the year at a in a home game at Lane after COVID hit, you couldn't be in a stadium for better part of a year and a half. Um, that's when you want to get them. Um, because even if you consider, you know, North Carolina skill talent that even has played before, there are a lot of sophomores and, and young guys who haven't really experienced a, a real college football atmosphere yet. Um, that's a good time to get Carolina rather than getting them like mid-October. Um, I like that you're getting West Virginia early in the year too because they're replacing a lot and I don't think they're going to be I think they're just going to be fine. And I think Virginia Tech has a has a good chance of winning that game. Middle Tennessee and Richmond are are two games Virginia Tech should win. They'll be double digit favorites and warm up the bus if not. But Please. even what if could Virginia possibly go wrong. Even if even if Virginia Tech start, you know loses to North Carolina in the opener, which is entirely possible, obviously, then they're at three and let's say they they beat West Virginia and they're sitting at three and one. I really like the bye week before you play Notre Dame at Lane, right? So that's another thing I really like about the schedule. You get the bye week before you face a Notre Dame team that has to run a little bit of a gauntlet through the month of September. They got to play a Cincinnati team that could be like playoff good. Um, Notre Dame's got some questions to answer. I don't expect Virginia Tech to beat Notre Dame, but I think getting a week to prepare for them and a Notre Dame team that's replacing a lot, I like that. Pittsburgh hasn't won in Blacksburg since 2015. Um, Narduzzi has not beaten Fuente on the road yet. Uh, Syracuse is awful. Duke's awful. The, the swing games for me that's going to really determine whether or not the difference between Virginia Tech going like six and six, which I think is the floor if there's no injuries versus like winning eight or like nine in a great season, which I don't anticipate. I, I think the swing games are Georgia Tech, Boston College, Miami and Virginia. Those are the swing games for me um, in conference play um, because the North Carolina game, it's a big game for a lot of reasons, but it's not going to determine really what this team is throughout the rest of the year. It's the opener. Like Virginia Tech could 
could very well lose that game and, and still have a very good year. Um, Virginia Tech could lose to West Virginia and have a really good year. Um, but it's really going to come down to Pitt, Georgia Tech, Boston College, Miami, and Virginia. Like those are those are the games that are truly toss ups. Um, I think Virginia Tech sitting at like seven and a half or seven for the win total is just about right. I'm going to be optimistic and say they go eight and four and that they avoid like a really bad loss. I think they lose to, I'm looking at like the stretch where it's Pitt, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, Boston College. I think Tech drops at least one of them. Um, I think they lose to Miami. I think they lose to Notre Dame. And I think they drop one of West Virginia and, and UNC. And I think that's how they, they get their four losses. I, I'm going to be optimistic, say eight and four. I think seven and five is <laughs> probably where it's at. And they I gotta were add, Mike, I got to ask you, you're very high on Miami. Why is Miami the vulnerable one? Oh, I don't think, I don't think Miami is vulnerable. I mean, the only way that Miami is, is vulnerable in that spot is if they've lost a bunch of games before that and totally checked out. I think that's the only way. I mean, Miami's returning like 18 or 19 starters. Um, for once, like Miami is being a little bit underrated, I think, <laughs> considering what they're returning, which is weird to say. But they're ranked 14th, and usually they're like a top 10 team. We all sit there and look at the AP poll, and we're like, why are they Why are they top 10? Like, look at who they have coming back and that sort of thing. But they got like 19 starters returning. <laughs> so, like, it's kind of weird that we're talking about North Carolina in, in that light because they have Sam Howell, of course. Um, versus Miami, which, I mean, don't get, I'm never going to call Miami underrated, but I think relative to what we usually talk about with them, I, th- I think they're kind of in a weird spot this year. Yay, people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't care about preseason rankings, really, but my point stands. I think Miami will be very good. Famous last words, Joey. <laughs> They've been so good the last four years. So, so good. Mike, so, so sorry, you settled on eight and four. I'm gonna settle on eight and four, maybe tied for third in the coastal with Pitt. I don't know, something like that. It'll be weird. Gotcha. And Andrew, you had seven and five. Paul, I don't know if we ever got a final number out of you. Well, we didn't. I'm optimistic though. I'm I'm feeling this team. I got them. I I do have them losing to Notre Dame. I do think they lose to Miami. Um, I think that there is one more loss in there, that disappointing heartbreak loss that Virginia Tech always suffers. I mean, it might be Pitt. Pitt seems to have their number for whatever reason. It could be Boston College. Lord help us if it's Duke again. Um, But, yeah, so you know what? I'll – do I really want to put myself out there and say that this is only a three loss team? Yeah. What the hell? This is only a three loss team. Look out for Virginia Tech boys. This is, this is a squad that is going to, this is me literally pandering to the fan base. For those of you that are listening to this, this is a general fan base of ACC fans. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I'm just, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll say, I'll say three losses is it for the Hokies this year. Paul, I, I just, you're pandering to the fan base. I see that beard. I just hear Mick Foley saying, right here in Blacksburg, Virginia. That's right. Exactly. That's what I'm doing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I watch a lot of professional wrestling, you know, so I'm I'm all about that. You know, you got to get that cheap pop every now and again, Joey. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Mick Foley knows how to do that best. Indeed. Um, Indeed. I'm going to bring the mood down here a little bit. I, 
I'm going to go six and six, and I'm a little tempted to say five and seven. Oh, Jesus. Oh, five Jesus. and seven. No, thanks. Where? Wow. So, Maybe. so Joey, the, how do we get there? Diploma. Let's see that. Five and seven? I, you know what? Again, I'll so, tell you this. If go, this team goes five and seven, like Mike and Andrew and I are going to help Justin Fuente pack boxes. <laughs> I don't blame yes. you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame you. Like, this program absolutely should be better than that and, and should be better than six and six. Here, here's where I'm at on this. And, and Mike, you've heard me use a lot of this reasoning similarly with other, other teams in, in, in the conferences. First off, I do not trust this coaching staff. This is, this is among all the coaching staffs in this conference. This is probably the one that I have the least amount of trust in. It is that is ranking wise. It is. Yeah. They are the most prone to drop games that should be a layup. We have seen Rightly that. Rightly so. We have seen that time and again. And even if Duke on a Friday night at home is supposed to be kind of a toss up, you lost it by five touchdowns. Like there, there's just like the random stinker that is just like a constant thing with this program that keeps coming back. Then we can look at the last couple of recruiting classes that have been rough. And, and even before that, some of the high end talent is all transferred out. I just feel like at some point this catches up with them, not to mention the possibility of a mid to late season firing to where then the bottom just falls out and people start quitting. You know, I like I, I picked North Carolina to win that game week one week three, the trip to Morgantown. I'm not chalking that up necessarily as a win. That's probably a toss up. That's a very, it's a toss up game. for sure. It's a toss up for sure. I mean, I'm picking it as a toss up win. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and again, if it's a three touchdown W here in Blacksburg, Virginia, <laughs> And, and again, if I'm if I'm trying to find my way to six or seven losses, I think West Virginia probably needs to be one of them. Um, that, that's, it does. That's a program on the rise. You know, we look at Notre Dame. Um, I I'm I'm very much on the fence of what I think Georgia Tech is going to be this year. But it's one of those things where if I'm Virginia Tech, I'd rather see him earlier than later. I think I think I don't really know that it's who, who's to say who's to say. Yeah. Um, you know, again, Boston College, I think they could be very dangerous. Miami on the road, even Virginia on the road. Again, that that's one of those that even in a uh, like an interim coach kind of situation, I could still see Virginia Tech getting up for that game and, and having enough to go win that. But just I just there's just enough here. And I'm, I'm just down enough on where this coaching staff has this program at this point that I feel like at some point it all catches up with them. And so that's where I'm going with. I think this is a particularly disappointing year. I'm going to I'll say 6 and 6 because I just can't reason my way to 5 and 7. But I think 6 and 6 is about right in my mind. Joey, if you will, I, I don't buy into the notion that there will be a midseason firing. I don't think that you have the press conference that you had last year in the event that there is going to be a midseason firing. I think that for better or worse this man is the coach until this season comes to its finality. That being said, your scenario, your five and seven scenario, your six and six scenario might be better for the mental health of the Virginia tech fan base than my seven and five scenario, because at least then you have a clear cut sayonara. Right. Because closure. At, at, yeah, closure. I, I, yeah. I, I think at eight and four, the vast majority of the fan base says, all right, we can hold on. I think at six and six or worse, the vast majority of the fan base 
is very willing to let this guy go. Yeah. At my five prediction, we are right back where we started with a with dueling factions of a fan base arguing about the future of the man at the top, which I don't think is healthy. Just think how great it would be if they were at nine and three based off of my scenario. Also, for the record, Joey advocates for the stealing of the tea. <laughs> hey, hey, one other thing. Andrew, I agree with you. Like, I, I don't think there will be a, a midseason firing, but I think in no, Joey's no. scenario where this team only wins five or six games, there would almost have to be because in that scenario, that means they lost like game to like Middle Tennessee, Richmond, Syracuse, Duke. Um, no, I mean, no, I, I see what he's saying. You lose to, you lose to, uh, you lose Carolina, you lose to West Virginia, like you lose to Notre Dame, then you lose to Pittsburgh, you lose to Boston College, and you lose to Virginia, and you lose to um, Miami. Miami, yeah, that's six. Yeah, yeah. And, and and once again, it's possible for sure. Well, if Braxton Burmeister gets injured, or any number of people get injured, that's possible. I mean, as I said before, it's a wrap. as I said before, I made my prediction. It's all my prediction was predicated on the idea that this guy is not that bad and that he's healthy the entire year, which neither of which are guarantees by any means. Well, and and like you mentioned, Mike, I mean, Middle Tennessee, Richmond, Syracuse and Duke, those are the the four games that I look up as, as like, that's a layup. Like, no matter what I think of this team or this coaching staff, like those are games that by a mile you should be winning by 10 points at minimum any of those games. Um and so again, I would I would hope that that doesn't go south. But you know, maybe it is a thing where you lose to Syracuse, and that's the the last straw or something. You know, the straw that breaks the camel's back, or the yeah. the, the Hokies back, or whatever the you know whatever we're going to use here. But I don't know. It's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty hard to it's it's pretty hard to think that this team doesn't make a bowl game when you look at like those four games, and then UVA has beaten Tech once in like seventeen years. So it's like playing the odds like there's five so then it's all predicated really on that stretch from late october to i guess mid-october with Pitt to like early november with boston college um, like, well, and you, and you gotta figure that syracuse and duke should be those should be wins right yeah, like, right. yeah they, they should pessimistic, so, no we should, should and, and if virginia tech loses to a syracuse or a duke this season Good for us for knowing that the guy at the helm is the completely wrong guy. But yeah. I think that from the perspective that we're standing right now, looking forward towards the season, when you chalk those up as victories and you add in Middle Tennessee State and Richmond, then you have the entire rest of the schedule to get two wins. And you're a team where Luke Tenuta is probably a future pro. Lucita Smith is probably a future pro. Amari Barno and James Mitchell are almost certainly future pros. This has got to be a team that could six wins, probably seven. And if it doesn't happen, that's probably on the back of Braxton Burmeister, which accordingly would be on the back of Justin Fuente. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else for Paul and Andrew while we got them? This is the most volatile team in the ACC, correct? Fair. Very Could fair. Be. Yeah. Us fun or Louisville. Season, fun and entertaining season one way or the other. Joey, us or Louisville? Who's more volatile? Uh, uh, I'll, go, I'll go this team. Yeah, I, th I think it's Tech. It's a tough one, though. That's not an easy answer. 
I, I yeah. think Tech's gonna have a higher ceiling than Louisville. Yeah, I think the I think the I think the standard of what makes for a good season at Louisville is way lower, or should be way lower at least, considering what they've lost over the last four years. Um, I just think that the the problem with Virginia Tech is there's it, it is so Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, you can go from beating North Carolina in five overtimes to losing by forty to Duke. So I mean, it's and historically it happens. If I Virginia did Tech, Scott Satterfield's resume on Indeed. If <laughs> if 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 he wants a job doing talk radio, what's is he what's better pretty, than Trey? What's yeah? Oh God! Uh, what's Jesus? What's funny about this too, real quick, is that if Virginia Tech were to win eight games, then all of a sudden the narrative is Fuentes won eight games or more in four of his six seasons in Blacksburg. That's like, what are we? What are we doing? Well, that's the thing, though. He has a bad season, and you can say, all right, 2018, 2020, 2021, he was trash. But then you can go, if he has a half a decent season, 2016, 2017, 2019, 2021, they were half by decent. Why would you fire this guy? What better are you going to do? This is a, like, crap that we are stuck it in. Is. So it is. So you are better off being on the high end of victory or the low end of defeat because no one's going to be satisfied otherwise. Here's one more. Here's one more very last quick dimension before we wrap this up. Uh, it could be. Virginia Tech's won eight games or more in four out of Fuente's six years. Um, and then they could say 2018 was an outlier and 2020, the entire team had COVID. It could go And you could look at that and say that's a fair assessment. That's why this is the bell cow, you know, what, not bell cow, bellwether, as they say in elections. This is the bellwether year. This is the year that decides it. It's unbelievable. It'll be a very entertaining year. Virginia it's a Tech narrative football. shaping year for the football program for the last like decade. It's unbelievable how important this is. Paul, Andrew, do you guys think it would be? Weeks. Do you think it would be good for the ratings at ESPN Blacksburg if they go like six and six and have to play Shane Beamer, South Carolina in a bowl game? I oh, mean, yeah, that'd be fantastic to play Shane Beamer in a bowl game. I just, you know, here's the problem. Like, again, it's back to the fan base. It is it is so black and white as far as you either love him or you hate him. And uh, I just want it to go one way or another, so I only have to deal with half of the fan base, right? <laughs> like, that's, 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 the, that's where I'm at with this. Like, if, if we're going to be trash, like, let's be 2 and 10 trash. Like, and let's just then that way the the Steve Bryce's of the world and the Justin Fuentes number one fans and these people that come at us constantly with stupid questions that we're never going to actually ask anyone, then at least that way we could only deal with them and we don't have to deal with the, with the people that are just like me that are just waving the flag saying 11 wins. So the realistically not- best thing for listenership would be that we have a number of inspirational victories immediately followed by heartbreaking defeats. That's 
true. That's true. <laughs> and you can listen Monday through Friday from four to six on ESPN Blacksburg. We have an app. Just simply go to your app store or your Google Play store. Download the app today. You can also catch the Hokey House pregame show on Friday the third. It's going to be from four until five fifteen. I know it sounds weird, but that's what we're going to do. Um, so come on out, check it out. If you're in Blacksburg, come down to Hokey House before the game. We would love to have you buy us a beer since Mike McDaniel's dad never travels anymore. He, he used to come and buy us beer all the time. Now he doesn't show up anymore. Um, so, and, and Lord have mercy. If you show up and Jeremy is there with shots, you better be ready to do a shot of Jameson because he will just hand it to you. He doesn't even care if he doesn't know you. No lies detected. <laughs> Mike, take us out while I book my tickets to Blacksburg for that game. That sounds like fun. I was just going to say, wait, hold right? on, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Before we do this, Joey, can we get you in Blacksburg for a game? Can that happen? I got tickets. You just tell me, I, you and your wife, you just tell me when you want to come. We will get you in into, we'll get you into the Hokie House pregame show. I'll kick Andrew off the air to give you his spot. <laughs> can I go to the tailgate if you do that? Yeah, probably. Uh, hey, you know, I, I definitely need to. I, this fall is probably not the time. Um, I'm currently, we're up to like 11 weddings this year. Turns okay. out when nobody got married last year, now everybody gets married this year. So, Fair. but I Fair. believe next year is Thanks, when my, Mike. yeah, shout out Mike. Um, I believe Sorry. it's next year when my yellow jackets make the trip to Blacksburg, that might be a little more, uh, a little more tenable from a scheduling standpoint. So I, I, yeah, I'd like to make that happen at some point for sure can do it. But if you steal the tea, I will call the Blacksburg police department on you. <laughs> I okay so here's the thing is you guys brought that up on the radio show and first of all I was not like prepped for that question or told that it was coming and I was caught completely off guard by it like Welcome I had I hadn't even heard anybody talk about stealing the tea in like three or four years and I, it took me a second to be like oh hang on and as I told you though the rules do state like the, the way that the tradition goes at Georgia Tech you know you take the tea off of Tech Tower and there's actually, if you go look at the proper, uh, oh, what's the word for it, uh, canon, proper canon for it says that you steal the T off of one side of the building, and then you steal the T off the next side of the building, and then you start stealing the H's, and then I believe it's the E's and then the C's. But the point is, you have to eventually return the letter to, to like bring the whole thing full circle. That's the tradition. So that's the thing is if you steal the tea, you got to bring it back. That's the rule. But uh, apparently some people don't really uh, abide by the rules in this society. It turns they out. didn't, they didn't bring the tea back. And in fact, every day, no joke, every day I drive by lane stadium and I see that tea on lane stadium. That is a different color. And every day I get pissed and want to drive down to Atlanta and slap somebody. <laughs> well, if I find out who it is, I'll let you know so that you know who to slap. Please, please. They got one coming. <laughs> Paul, Andrew, this has been awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having us. Hey, man, it's been an honor. Finally, after our good friend, Mike McDaniel, yeah. shunned us for years at a time, despite the fact that I do my own podcast with him. <laughs> it is <laughs> a real honor to be on with Joey Weaver, the honorable Joey Weaver and one Mike McDaniel. I think what we figured out here today, Andrew, is that Joey is the engine that drives this train, and Mike is literally just hanging on. Just Along for the ride. Choo-choo. <laughs> That's true. Thanks for having us, guys. Hey, anytime. We need you all back on sometime soon, all right? Absolutely. And th thanks for keeping me and the wife company at Mike's wedding earlier. Indeed, indeed. Thank you for keeping us company. We had a great time. 
We had a great Mike, time. As Mike well. wouldn't let us do our toast. We had a whole thing planned. We had we had Shriners and little cars. We had elephants on trampolines. We had strippers. We had the whole thing planned <laughs> yeah, the, out. Again, and, the pyrotechnic and, company is about to call me to collection. So yeah, yeah. And, and like I showed up and I said to the girl that was setting up the tables downstairs, Joey, you know, the, the downstairs area where they were dancing. Mm-hmm. I said, where are we putting the stripper pole? And she looked at me like I had lost my mind. And my <laughs> wife was like, oh, my God, you're not doing this right now. You are not going to ruin Mike's wedding. I said, oh, you know damn well I am. And they told me that we weren't allowed to dance on table. The whole thing just went out the window. Like five minutes after I got there, I was so mad. I almost left, but I figured I drove that far. I might as well stick around for the free meal. There you go. There you go. They're pretty good. Uh, pretty good open bar too. So that that That's was worth true. everybody's That's while. True. That's true. <laughs> Andrew, Josh, thank you all so much. Thanks. All right, Mike. That was Paul Van Wagner and Andrew Alex uh, again, hosts from ESPN Blacksburg. The drive, what is it? Three. We said three to six, four to six, four to six. ESPN Blacksburg, go check them out there. Hokey House pregame shows, uh, lot, lots of things. They're they're good at promoting them. Go go find them on Twitter. Um, lots of fun, great hokey coverage. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having them on. Mike, we got a couple more season previews to do, but we are wrapping it up pretty quickly here. So uh, we are about ready to talk about some actual football. Literally two left. Yeah. It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. Um, we're going to get out of here. We're going to come back and do those. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SOS. Together, we are at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, go find them on Twitter. Paul is at Paul V Wags, all one word. And Andrew is at Andrew Alix Radio, all one word. Uh, for all sorts of hokey commentary, among other things. Again, Andrew is a, uh, a Washington football team supporter which results in a lot of twitter activity we'll say we'll leave it there um mike they can find us on itunes on spotify all sorts of good places where you can find podcasts normally please find us there hit the follow button hit the subscribe button if youtubers tell you to do it please uh please do it for our podcast on those podcast platforms yep uh, they can find us on, uh, well, they can send us an email with their questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Mostly. It was, it was okay. Could have worked on the, uh, you know, the uh, onboarding there. But anyways, you want to tell them where they can find us in the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference, rate, review, find all of our podcasts there. Also on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC, Joey. Yeah, I've been a little quiet on the on the Instagram there for a couple of weeks. We gotta we gotta work on that. And by we, I mean I. I gotta work on that. So yeah. we'll work on that. You drive the ship, <laughs> as we've established. Yes, uh, Mike. That's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? Evolved from a train to a ship. <laughs> so we're no, gonna we're be shipwreck soon. Then yes. Well, we're we're there. I think we're there. <laughs> there you go. All right, we're going to come back and preview some more teams. Until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, Mr. Paul Van Wagner, Mr. Andrew Alex, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go for the kids.